With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Final Furlong Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. Oh, furlongs to go and it's library still in front from Lumiere Rock. Opening up an advantage over Blue Stocking down the outside of Save the Last Dance. Then as is that and be happy. Warm heart Coros drop right out of contention. They still get to library. Blue Stockings coming on the outside of Lumiere Rock back. Back and forth to save the last dance inside the final 150 yards. Library is cornered by Blue Stocking, but over the top and save the last dance on the outside. Save the last dance is winning a third color classic of the season for Ryan Moore and Aiden O'Brien. The Jet Montana shows from Blue Stocking. Welcome back to the show. It is great to have your company as we look back on a classic weekend of racing in Ireland and we'll look at all the big performances from other horses outside of the Irish Oaks as well. We're also going to be looking ahead to the highlight of the week, the meeting that we're all counting down to that we cannot wait for. It's the return of the Racing League. Does anybody care? Did you even know? We'll talk about whether or not the Racing League actually works as a product or whether or not this is the year it's going to take off. Maybe this is the year where the Racing League becomes a huge success. 
Uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, we'll also build up to the real highlight of the week, which is the King George on Saturday. And I'm delighted to say that we will do all of this in the company of one of the best pundits in the game, retired jockey Martin Dwyer. Welcome back to the show, Martin. Thanks, Emmett. Yeah, it seems weird when you say retired jockey. <laughs> seems weird to say it, to be honest. I interviewed you a couple of weeks ago for TalkSport 2, the week you made the announcement. I know how hard you were working uh, on coming back. You'd been working to make it back for the ARC last year, and you'd been trying to get back for the King George. Just to, to reflect on it, because we didn't get a chance to talk to you about it on, on the final furlong. At what point did you realise, this is it, I'm going to have to stop? Um, I probably I probably knew, I've known since Christmas it was going to be a struggle, because had surgery last year and then I'd thrown everything at the rehab and Oaksy House and then towards Christmas time it just wasn't going in the right direction and I had further complications and um, I went to see the surgeon he told me he'd have to do some more surgery on it and um, I kind of knew around then but you know I, t- I threw everything at it and thought I've got to give give it one last big push and, and then sort of sort of March time I kind of realised this is it's not going to be it's not going to work out, but, you know, I just kept going. And then I had a second operation, then I waited for two or three months after that just to see how it was. And then eventually I had to just face reality that it wasn't going to be strong enough and my knee wasn't good enough to come back and race ride, which the surgeon had told me it was always going to be a struggle and it was just time to face reality and then announce it so I could just move forward. I know that you've had a couple of weeks settling into civilian life, if you like, the media world. How have you been getting your head around that? Yeah, it's like I say, I've known for a while, but actually saying it out loud and then going racing and people asking me and talking to me and, and, and it just, you know, it becomes real and it's it's been difficult because I've, you know, I've been a jockey for near on 30 years. It's a, it's a big part of my life and, you know, that stand down not so long back and watching all the, the lads come out of the weighing room and into the paddock to ride and I'm thinking, you know, that should be me and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to get your head around, but, you know, being pragmatic, I've had a good career and I've had a long one. So, yeah, it's the party has to end at some point, doesn't it? And as we're looking ahead to the King George, and I'll, I'll we can nearly do it now. Actually, um, get your thoughts on it. Like pile driver means an awful lot to you, obviously. And you were on air with me on Talksport Two when he won the King George last year, and it was brilliant coverage. And you gave us an incredible insight, particularly when he left the paddock and you knew none of the other jockeys were going to be able to hear or get it relayed to them what you were, you were about to tell us. And you basically it painted the picture for us of exactly how he was going to win the race. Bear in mind, he was 28 to 1 at the time you were saying that. He was 18s when the race went off, so nicely done, Martin. But, uh, like, our our gain, um, we we very much benefited from the fact that you were able to give us all that analysis. But obviously you wanted to be on the track. And I know you would have wanted to be on the track uh, at the Royal Meeting as well. So how are you feeling now that you're going to see him run in a second King George, but it's the, the third time that you know that you can't be part of that story? Yeah, it, it's, you know, this horse has been bittersweet, you know. He was, I've been successful on him. I won a group one on him at Epsom at the Coronation and then I was due to ride in Dubai when I had this score and, you know, I missed out then and I've missed out since and it's been it's been hard to watch. Um as any professional will tell you, any sports person will tell you to sit on the sidelines and you know, watch a horse you normally ride, go and win. It's been difficult, but obviously delighted for my father in law and the owners and the team and PJ McDonald's had a great spin with him. He's had two winners and yeah, it's gonna be 
I suppose it'll be a little bit easier this year watching it because I've announced my retirement and that's it, you know. So I know I'm not going to be riding again. So I'll be delighted for the team if they can win again. And But yeah, it is difficult to watch. And how is his preparation going? He's, he's done great. He looks fantastic. I mean, he looks even better now as a six-year-old. He's stronger. I was over in the yard last week and he, he did a gallop at Newbury Race Course. And I think this horse always goes under the radar. He's always too big a price. And mm. I think if he was trained by a bigger stable, no disrespect to William, but you know how trends are in racing. If he was trained by an Aidan O'Brien or Sir Michael Stout, I don't think he'd go off at these big prices. And I think he's six to one now for the to win again. I mean, it looks a stronger King George than last year, but he's got a massive chance. He looks fantastically well. And I don't know, the three-year-olds get a lot of weight off the older horses. Um, but I think in the last 10 years, only two, three-year-olds have won it, maybe three. Um, I think he's got a cracking chance and I think he'll end up drifting to be a bigger prize. So I wouldn't put anyone off having a bet on him on the day when he's probably too big a price and he's already won on heavy ground as well so he goes on any ground he loves Ascot um, I think he'll fly under the radar again and run a big race Yeah I was going to ask you about the ground because it, it shouldn't be much of an inconvenience to him but it might be an inconvenience to some of his rivals um, and, and it may very well shape up the, the overall final field for the race because Aidan O'Brien was on with Nick Luck last week and he basically said they're going to fire everything at it um, which is very intriguing but it wouldn't be ideal ground for for King of Steel. It wouldn't be ideal ground for Desert Crown. Um, it wouldn't be ideal ground for a lot of them. No, I, I think there's only really the connections with Hookham are delighted with the rain because he, he's a proven soft ground horse and he comes in in form. He beat Pile Driver last year in the Coronation. Um, albeit Pile Driver, Pile Driver was lame after the race. That wasn't his, his best run, but... Yeah, I think it could knock a few of them out. I'm not sure if Emily Upjohn's going to run or she's going to uh, wait for York. Um, I'm not quite sure. The three-year-olds, like I say, they, I think they will be inconvenienced by the soft ground. Um, although I thought Augusta Rodan, I mean, when he won the Irish Derby, I, I thought that run wouldn't be good enough to beat some of these. Because um, he looked, it looked like a... Sounds terrible, isn't it? You win an Irish Derby, but it looked, didn't look like a great performance to me. Well, it, it, to be fair, it didn't, um, and, and we talked in depth about it because the the riding style on the runner-up Adelaide River didn't exactly look the best either, and I, I think my opening line to Louis was, eh, that wasn't the most forceful effort from Shami Heffernan, but then he broke down Shami's style and how the race had run, and basically there wasn't a whole lot left in the tank for Adelaide River, so I don't know what else Shami was supposed to have done, and we've subsequently seen him run in a group one since then, um, and he got... You know, he's run very, very well. He's gone close in the Grand Prix de Paris, but ultimately wasn't good enough. I think he would be very interesting in a St. Ledger, but that's probably as good as he is. Um, conversely, for August Roden, a lot went wrong for him. A lot went against him, and yet he still managed to go and win. And that that would give you a positive view ahead of this race. But the connections of King of Steel are going to be very much looking forward to the rematch. So which camp would you be in in that particular battle? August Roden versus King of Steel, the third time they've met, but really it's the it's the proper rematch since the Derby. Who would you side with? If you'd have asked me this straight after the Derby, I'd have told you Augusta Roden is just far better than King of Steel. For me, King of Steel lacks a gear. He looks like a real stayer. Mm. Um, but given Augusta Rodan's performance in the derby. I know Ryan said he didn't go to plan, but oh, come on, I didn't. I wasn't having that. 
I think there was a fall in the race, and that was unfortunate. And Paul yeah. Wayne Lawrence picked up an injury. But I just thought Augusta Road, and he was in the clear with two to run, and he just didn't pick up as well as he should have done, in my opinion. Um, but that might just be a blip. I can't have King of Steel 10 in the former round Augusta Road, and I, I just can't have it. I don't think he's as good, although I think he's a smart horse, King of Steel. And um, I just think Augusta Rodan, he lacked the turn of foot to cope with horses like Emily Upjohn and um, Pile Driver and, and uh, Hookham. I just think he'll have to be better than that that Ascot on, on Saturday to beat the older horses. What do you make of the, the story about Richard Kingsgood? I still don't know what he's supposed to have done wrong, but he's been... He was jocked off ahead of Royal Ascot and Desert Crown, um, and then obviously that run didn't happen because days later... Desert Crown gets injured, so the whole thing was a nonsense. And now William Buick is in line to ride him if he does run in the King George. What is Richard Kingsgood supposed to have done wrong here? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I'm not sure. Richard's had a he had a couple of months where he got beat on a few high profile horses, Desert Crown being one of them. And sometimes that could be enough in itself, just finishing second. Um and you get beat, and, and, and you know, some of these owners that you know, at these top levels, see Sir Hale is a big owner, and he's obviously decided he wants to use William Buick, who's riding at the at his peak and makes very few mistakes. Um, a lot of people will have different opinions on what Richard did or didn't do wrong at Sandown, uh, but it did look visually like he didn't get it right to me. There was only six runners, it was only a two horse race. Um, he only had Hookham to beat, the rest were no good, nowhere near as good as the horse he was riding. and. He sat at the back and made his ground up very quickly on the outside on one of the steepest tracks in the country uh, on a horse that had been off for a while. And he kind of made all his ground up quickly, found himself in front, and then he kind of half let the horse drop down a gear instead of, you know, once you've committed at that point, you've got to go. And he kind of half let the horse drop down one gear. And he just gave Hookham a chance to come back and get him, which, which is what happened. So... He's a very good jockey, Richard Kingscote, and I'm sure he'll dust himself down and move on from this. But at this top level, you can't afford to make mistakes. I Years ago, when I was riding at this top level, I remember one on a horse in France, a Group 1, and when it got changed and came out, the owners were having a drink with Mick Canan. And Mick Canan's already telling them what, you know, what I did wrong in the race, even though I won. I'm trying to get on the horse next time. Oh, my it's, God. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty. It's a. It's a tough, tough environment, and unfortunately, when things don't go right and you make one little mistake, you're there to be shot at at this top level, this elite level. Um, so you know, Richard King's home. Sure, he'll bounce back, um, but a couple of things haven't gone right for him, um, including the race at Sandown. Yeah, uh, he was getting criticism for the Tattersalls Gold Cup as well, which I thought was completely over the top. Um, and yeah, again, though, you know, I'm not criticising Richard, but again, there was only a three-horse race. The rest, were, it, it, the hardest races to ride in are the five, six-runner Group Ones, and this is where Ryan Moore and Frankie and Buick, this is where they excel. Um, I was doing, I was, um, I think I was working on racing TV that day, and I basically said as they went to the start, if Richard takes back and sits in behind and lets Ryan dictate, he will get beat. And he he did exactly that. And as soon as he's parked up in, beside, in behind Ryan Moore, Ryan just pulled the pace up. And 
halfway round going up the hill, Ryan um, Ryan's just slowed up, giving his horse a breather, and Richard was very keen in behind. And then when Ryan kicked and got first run, Richard's gone from pulling the horse back to trying to then sprint. So it was messy. It was a very messy race. And, you know, I, I think Richard should have made more use of his horse, even made the running or made sure that didn't happen. Sometimes you've got to be, you've got to preempt what's going to happen and don't let it happen. That's the key with these small field, um, big races. And, you know, you need to be switched on. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Um, I'm also just intrigued to go back to your your story about Canaan trying to steal a ride from you, despite the fact that you were after winning. Because I was watching racing TV about two months ago, I would say, and um, you were talking about this, uh, just how difficult it is for a jockey and how it doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. And um, like Frankie Dettori is very quick to say, oh, I don't steal anyone's ride. I don't jock anybody off. That's not me. I'm, I'm not like that at all. Despite the fact that he has replaced four jockeys in the last five derbies, uh, and that's just the derby itself. And look, if you want to go for Frankie on the big race day and you think you're going to be able to get him, I get it. Like I get why you would go from an inexperienced jockey to Frankie Dettori. I probably would have my head turned about that as well. It's the derby. You're only going to get to run on it once, and you've got a, a legend like Frankie Dettori. However, the whole dynamic and how that goes um, isn't very pleasant. And look, we've talked about the stresses of, of a jockey relentlessly on this show uh the sauna has been taken away uh, brendan powell coming on and just announcing oh yeah uh, we're not allowed to use saunas except for the fact that there are some british race courses who will say to us oh here's a voucher for a gym that we own or a hotel that we're linked to you can go use their sauna today like it's just mind-blowingly uh ridiculous nonsense that is going on and, and uh the pga have a lot to answer for in terms of how the whip rules came into play and how they didn't really fight them, and now we are where we are, and there's a civil war going on in that organization, and we'll see how all that plays out. But combine all of those things, all of the stresses and the lack of prize money in racing uh, that Louis has eloquently spoken about since he's joined the show as well, combine all of those things with, in the background, there's jockeys trying to steal your rides. And you were saying on Racing TV that uh, if an agent will go up to an owner and say something not so subtle, like just straight out say, oh, you were unlucky today, unlucky with your horse today. If my fella had been on board, you'd have won. <laughs> yeah, that that happens. That's that's always been the way. You know, we're, Every jockey pretty much is freelance, apart from the handful that are retained. But it's it's a competitive world, and, and it's a sport, and you're based on your, on your, your, your results. And unfortunately, it can... You know, it slips and slides. There was a there was a time where I was able to drop people off and get on rides. You know, I I remember my good friend George Baker. He rode a filly in the Oaks when his second rise and cross. He did nothing wrong, and 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 then somebody bought her, and then they wanted me to ride it. So I rode it in the Irish Oaks, and I actually rang George and said, "Look, if I win, I'll give you half of my prize money." Which I think she finished third in the Irish Oaks, but. Oh, wow. And then when you're having a bad run, you get you lose rides. That's that's the way of the world in racing, unfortunately. I mean, you know, they tell me years ago, Leicester Piggott would win a race, and then he'd come into the enclosure, go over to the owners in second place, and say, "I'll ride your horse next time." And then and the jockey was stood there going, "What?" And then you know, that's the way of the world. And you know, I, there are times I remember in the past times when Frankie would ring me and say, "Look, sorry, mate, I'm riding your horse next week. I thought I'd let you know," but. 
and he'll always say, oh, it wasn't me. And owners will go and contact the jockeys direct, and if they want to choose a different jockey. So it's always been that way. That's part of the intrigue of racing. Um, there are not many trainers nowadays that will stand up for their jockeys and say, no, he's my jockey. Uh, I think Peter Warren did it back in the day when Willie Carson was a stable jockey. I remember when I was riding for Marcus Pagan in uh, Frankie Dettori rode all of, all of the uh, Maktoum horses and we had a good horse going for the French Derby and, and um, Frankie's agent and said, oh, he'll ride that. And I'm pretty sure Marcus went to Shane Howard and said, no, Martin's my stable jockey, he rides them. And he stood up for me and I rode every, you know, all of Marcus's horses, but that is very rare, very rare indeed. And it's... Um, yeah, it's 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 doggy dog out there at times. <laughs> yeah, but it's nice to hear that loyalty is there because it's just not there anymore. Like no. there's the um the old punter's pal Paddy Power who'll you know just restrict you left, right, and centre these days. But like they had that brilliant ad campaign with Ryan Keeks's brother. Loyalty's dead. <laughs> genius, <laughs> just absolute genius ad campaign. Um, and they're right. Like they are right, it it is dead, um, and and to a certain extent, you know, you shouldn't just be loyal for the sake of being loyal. But if a jockey hasn't done anything wrong, like in this context, irrespective of whether that's an experienced jockey or a young jockey, why are they being replaced by a, a perceived big name? And look, the owner of Desert Crown can do whatever they want. Um, and I, I can't. Remember, were you on with this? When when um, Dave Yates was on Talksport Two with us saying, "Well, this happened before, you know. He fired Kieran Fallon back in the day, and then two years later, Kieran won the Derby for him. So, like this, this stuff kind of comes in cycles. But when a jockey is down, and, and Richard Kingscote for that period certainly was down, this kind of stuff can be a, a, a real crippling blow. It, it could also be a wake up reminder. It can it can be a, an alarmist wake up call that makes you go, all right." I'm not down, I'm going to prove to them that I should be riding. And then you ride at a lower level, win left, right, and center, and prove that you should be getting the, the best opportunities. Um, but it can also be a devastating blow to to the mind of, of a jockey. And I think Richard has done pretty well since then. Um, and the fact that like there's, no, there's nothing negative is being said about him right now at Sir Michael Stout's yard you would have thought the guy who won the Derby for you is going to be back in line to ride this horse on King George Day. And yet the race comes around and it's like, it's not the man that you had booked initially. It's not like you've got Frankie Dettori back on board. You're going for somebody else again. It's just, I, I don't see how that's beneficial to anybody, really. Yeah, I'm afraid, you know, just like I said, it's just the way it is. And it's, you don't often see a jockey win a Derby and then lose the ride on the horse you know, three runs later, but... It's the world we live in. It's competitive, and William Buick, you know, the only would see William riding winners left, right, and centre. Big winners. He's unflappable yeah. in the big races, and unfortunately, he's just decided he thinks his horse will have a better chance of winning William on. So, it happens to all of us, and it's the test of your character as a jockey. You've got to be thick-skinned, and Richard's just going to have to get on with it. And um, next time he's riding in these races at that level with small fields, you know, he's just going to have to learn from. A lot of people disagree with what I'm saying, but you have to learn from his mistakes. No, I think and you're right. I, I think you're right, and and I think that's I think that's vital for jockeys to hear as well. Um, 
you know, even now, it's it can't all be all oh, hard luck, Richard. Like that's very unfair on you. No, if there's criticism there. It has to be. It has to be given, and that's not being. You're not being cruel. You're giving them good no. advice. Unfortunately, um, I have to say, hand on heart, if William Buke had rode Desert Crown of Sandown, he'd have won him. The way the way he's been riding. Yeah. And, um, but that's only my opinion counts for nothing, but obviously it was the owner's opinion as well. So Richard will bounce back. He's a very, very talented jockey. You know, he just needs to learn from it, move on. It's happened to us all. We've all lost rides in big races. So he'll learn from it and move forward. Well, I'm not smart enough to work out sectional times on my own at all. And I don't sit there with the the uh, uh, the Apple Watch doing the sectional times either. I read, I watch Angus McNay's stuff and I read Simon Rowland's stuff. And there was a, a difference of opinion on the sectional times for that Sandown race, for the Brigadier Gerard. Um, I'm pretty sure Angus was of the view he blew up in the final furlong. And Simon Rowland's was like, no, he didn't. He's run straight and through, and he's been as fast in the final furlong as, as as you would have expected him to be in a 10 furlong race. But even if you just look at the Racing Post ratings, he had an RPR, this is top of my head, it was RPR of 1.25 for the Derby, and it was 1.22 in his comeback. So, I mean, it, was he even a 1.25 horse to begin with? That's an opinion of that day, and we haven't seen him until the Brigadier Girard. So, it's a reasonable comeback. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Uh, and look, at the end of the day, Martin, he may very well end up missing this race anyway, and the whole thing's just going to be academic. Uh, <laughs> but, like, cue, he'll be withdrawn at 3 p.m. today, and this conversation is rendered useless. Um, but it is just, uh, it's it's an intriguing aspect of things, because Westover has done well. He hasn't torn it up, but he's done well in Group 1 races. Um, that's a representative of the form, but Desert Crown has to go and strut his, his stuff himself. So just dealing with him, um, like, would you be keen on him for the King George? Is he a horse that you would trust to to bet on with all the talk about the work that he's doing? And I mean, every time you hear a, a, a gallop report about Desert Crown from the Lemkins, apparently he's burning the gallops up and catching pigeons. Um, but do you believe all of that? I don't know. Coming from Sir Michael Stanton and, and that yard, I, I would be... Um you couldn't dismiss it. You know, he's, he's one of the best trainers there's been. Um, and he's been in a situation with these horses many times before. So, yeah, I wouldn't take it lightly. Um, he's a derby winner, lightly raced. Um, ground, slight concern. But I, 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 I would believe the hype. And I'd say he goes into the King George in, in, in really good form and good health. He's doing everything right at home. So, yeah, you'd be foolish to dismiss it. But it's such an open race, and, and um, he's going to have to be as good as he was in the derby. I just don't know whether he will possess that turn of foot on very soft ground. Yeah, that would be my concern with him as well. He did win a, a maiden on soft, but that's a maiden. You're in Group 1 company now. Um, yeah. Somebody is going 7-1 to one pile drivers, 6-1 to one Desert Crown. I mean, they must hate money, because that's, <laughs> that's a crazy price in my view. Uh, August Rodan, 130, joint favourite with some firms, with King of Steel, uh, Hook'em gone into fours, I think that's short. Um, Emily of John, 9-2, we'll see if she actually takes her chance. Desert Crown, 6-1, Pile Driver, 7s, Luxembourg, good old Luxembourg, out to 16-1, to one. oh dear. Um, I wouldn't give up on him, by the way, I wouldn't give up on him at all, um, but this ground might not be ideal for him. Uh, at, at the prices, I'd be with Pile Driver, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. 
I put him up at the Royal meeting as well. I think that's a very, very fair price uh, at sevens. But I'm really yeah. intrigued. Of the two three-year-olds, I'm in the August Rodan camp. And I agree with you. I think King of Steel is more of a stayer than anything else. But it's, um, it's a fascinating one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, shall we look back on the weekend's racing? Should we, yep. should we head to the Curra for the Judmont Irish Oaks? The going was soft. The ground was absolutely awful. Uh, it may very well be the case that this is 10 a.m. on the 24th of July. Uh, you might have the Curra attendance figures in front of you. Hey, you might have had the Curra attendance figures uh, on the 23rd of July and maybe Kilkenny's All-Ireland Final Quest and where we were beaten by Limerick. Bastard Limerick. Well done, J.P. McManus. I mean, yeah, congratulations. It was an amazing game. Um, a four in a row for Limerick. Well done to them. Uh, I know what that feels like because Kilkenny won four in a row uh, back in the, the 2008, 2000, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. And then it came crashing down. Um, but well done to them. Uh, it was a, a deserved success. I don't have the current attendance figures in front of me. If they were published and, and you saw them, uh, great. I haven't seen them anywhere. I haven't seen them on the tweet machine. I haven't seen them on the Irish field uh, or, or anywhere else for that matter. But I've no, I've no idea, actually. I, I'm watching the pictures live. It looked like everyone was taking refuge in the bar because of the weather. <laughs> it looked like no one was there. But that's the polite way of saying it, Martin. Yes, they were all in the bar uh, sipping on hot whiskeys. Uh, so the, the good news is they're trying to do something about this because I don't ever remember a group one day where it was free entry. But that is the fee uh, to attend the Phoenix Stakes Day at the Curra on the 12th of August. Free 99. And that's terrific. uh, And well done to them. But they need to do something. Because the attendance at the Curra has been woeful since the redevelopment. Um, It was a crowd of just over 10,000 for Irish Derby Day. Um, Switched to the Sunday. Bear in mind the crowd for the... Derby Day in 2015 was 25,000. They got 25,000 over three days for Irish Derby weekend. So they need to do something, and uh, I would applaud them for that. It's it's a great initiative. You can go to the Curra for free on the 12th of August for the, the Phoenix Stakes Day. 
And we're going to see River Tyra in that race. So that's going to be interesting. Um, that was that will probably be an Aidan O'Brien dominance. It was an Aidan O'Brien dominance in the Irish Oaks. And it's been really the story of the season. It's been an Aidan O'Brien dominance the whole way through. Uh, all the current classics this season have been won by Aidan, Ryan Moore and Coolmore. And this was a seventh win in the Irish Oaks for Aidan O'Brien. It didn't look like it though, Martin. Um, he traded at the, or she traded at the, not to misgender, save the last dance, apologies in this day and age. Um, she's traded at the ceiling price of 999 to 1 and somehow has managed to get there. A combination of a great ride and her class coming through and the ground really uh, coming into play for her because we saw how devastatingly impressive she was in the Oaks trial at Chester. Um, but this was extraordinary that she managed to win. Yeah, well, she, she's clearly a lover of soft ground and, and the conditions were, were set to suit her and, and, and she looked good. She looked devastating. But, you know, with two, well, two to run, she looked like she was dropped up, dropping out the back of the telly. When I was watching her, I kind of, my eye was drawn to blue stocking when she was produced with a well-timed run to, to go and win the race. And then I just thought, well, save the last dance. There's not, you know, she's not at her best today. She dropped away and then, Letting you know she's come back into the picture, which was quite a surprise watching it. Um, and then she, once she got into top gear, she, I thought she pulled away, winning quite convincingly. But I actually watched it back, and I thought, do you know what? She never, re- she hit a flat spot. She didn't drop down the field as much as I originally thought watching it. Mm. Um, she literally, it looked like the horse around her quickened. She hit a flat spot and was just going. She wasn't stopping. She wasn't dropping away. She she just kind of lost a length or two. And then she just outstayed them and kept going. Blue stock and quickened to win. And then I just sort of saved the last dance, just got her head down, got into top stride, enjoying the soft ground. And and then she, she, she managed to keep going. I know a lot was said about what a great ride from Ryan. And it was a great ride. Ryan's one of the best in the world, actually. But 99% of jockeys would have done the same thing. I mean, you pay to push to the winning post, especially in a classic. So, you know, Colin Keane, Gavin Ryan on the second and third, if they'd have rolled, save the last dance, they would have won as well. Because as a jockey, all, all Ryan did was kept pushing and she was responding. Because we watch a race and you watch a horse that looks like it's dropped back a, a place or two. But when you ride a horse, you know how much petrol you've still got there. So you don't just give up. And Ryan just kept pushing and he pulled the whip and used it to encourage to go forward. And, and she kept going forward. So... It was a good performance. Like I say, strange to watch from the eye because you think, hold on, what's happened? But for me, she just hit a flat spot. And the second horse quickened. And quickened to the point, and then she just kept going. Where say the last dance just kept finding for Ryan's urges. So I thought it was a good performance. Um, and I, I can't see if she waits for the ledger in September. I actually can't see her getting beaten in the, in the match. I think she's probably a, a good price if they're going to go there. Ooh, that's a big call. Um, one which I would agree with you on, and I was, I was going to ask you that question, actually. Just to to deal with her overall profile uh, and her performance in the race, like, it, it doesn't... it. She never really drops away, as you're saying, in the way that you're expecting when, when you're... When I was telling people afterwards, there was an, an event, the... Uh, parish priest in my hometown has has been in our, our town for 28 years and this was the last mass that he was saying on, on Saturday night, uh, Father Michael Ryan, an absolute legend. But there was tea, coffee and cakes and sandwiches afterwards to, to celebrate him. And um, I'm having a conversation with a few different people about 
the races. By the way, there was a two-year-old who won who cost two and a half million, Martin. No, there wasn't. But it's great the way these stories just develop. <laughs> I just had to stand there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. C- apparently, Coolmore owned Minding, but sold her so that they could then buy the progeny for two and a half million. Hey, well, just, all right, Ned, we'll go with that, shall we? Um, but when I was telling, saying to the lads there, you know, she traded at 1,000 to 1 in running. They were all like, What? We're like, how do we get in on this action? And how much is it to get involved in, in the old uh, machine? Um, it doesn't make sense that she traded that big because she she hasn't dropped back through the back of the telly and she was always very well positioned by Ryan throughout the race. It's just, as you said, it's it's almost like she goes in slow motion while everything else sped up. It, it's like uh, Blue Stocking goes past her like she's standing still and that she's running up and down in the one spot. But then she suddenly just moves into gear and her class... Uh, takes over and gets her there. So the increase in distance to the mile six in the St. Ledger, is that why you would be so bullish about her? Because she looks like a cup horse, the way she travels in her races. Uh, is that why you would be so bullish about her for the St. Ledger? Yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine if there's another two furlongs on the end of that race on Saturday? Yeah. She'd have probably gone away and won five, seven lengths. Um, so yeah, and especially if the ground comes up soft in September at Doncaster, which it normally does. Um yeah, I think she's a very good price. It's just whether she definitely goes there. But I think she had a hard race on Saturday as well. Um, so that would give her a bit more time to recover. Um, I think she's in the um, Yorkshire Oaks, but um, I'm not sure whether, like I said, I think the ground might be dried out by then. But if she has a break now and then comes back for the ledger, I, I can't see it. I mean, I suppose Gregory's the one horse who's unexposed. He's won three on the bounce, won it. Royal Ascot over a mile six. Obviously, he's a cult. Um, but I just don't think this filly, I think she'll just be better and better over that distance. Well, they went for the St. Ledger with the filly last year and Emily Upjohn, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, I see no reason why they wouldn't go for it with Save the Last Dance. They've got Adelaide River as well, but he would need to win a Ledger trial. I think he's he's deserving of his place there, runner-up in two Group 1s particularly. Is the Grand Prix de Paris classed as a classic? It should be. Uh, but certainly the Irish Derby is, and, and they were two solid runs, but they don't have the profile that Save the Last Dance has. And I would imagine Doncaster would suit her as well, Martin. Yeah, they galloping straight. Um, yeah, I think it would, it would definitely suit her, and if it goes soft. So, yeah, if she's 6-1, to 7-1 to one now, you know, be worth... You know, I wouldn't put anyone off having a, having a few quid on her. She just looks so much better, um, you know, to go up in distance. She's a big, strong filly, so yeah, I, I think that would be a natural step. But who am I to tell Aidan O'Brien where to run his horses? <laughs> hey, we can all tell Aidan where he can run his horses, <laughs> but at the end of the day, man's an absolute legend, whether he listens to us or not, is another matter entirely. I, I doubt very much that he's uh, hanging on, on my every word to see where am I sit. But if, if Martin Dwyer is saying go for a St. Ledger, I think that he will def- that he'll definitely take seriously. Uh, it was a huge run from library for Aiden and back in third. I mean, she's gone out and made all the running. She was going pretty fast up front too. And she's plugged on for third. But Blue Stocking is the, the other horse that I was keen to get your thoughts on. Um, she'd been put in her place twice by Warm Heart. She was unlucky at Newbury. They must have thought they were going to win the Oaks. Uh, on, on Saturday, and then a long come save the last dance to go and nail them. Another Coolmore filly um, beating them towards the end. But she's a lovely horse, though. Yeah, it's a big improvement from um, Blue Stock. And um, she was beaten twice by 
warm heart, like you say, and um, in improving importance on the former round, and she, she showed a real acceleration in the last furlong and a half. Just looked like had the race won, like you say, but saved the last dance on that ground, just, you know, wore her down and outstayed her. And I think um, Rafe will be delighted with that run. Um, I think he'll be happier back on quicker ground. So um, I just wonder whether she'll go for the Yorkshire Oaks. That could be a race for her. But she's definitely an improving filly. Where would you go with Emily Dickinson after her win in the Curra Cup? She's run well in the Gold Cup. She was a massive drifter in the market that day as well. She's gone out to 11-1. to 1. Good to firm ground was probably against her. Back on soft ground, she's just way too good for everything else. Um, Aidan was saying afterwards that she runs well on good ground, but she grows an extra leg on soft. Um, what yeah. would be your, your thought process with her going forward? Well, she is, you know, her, her race is a bit taken by the soft ground, as Aidan said. You know, she's she, pretty smart you know she beat she beat Ross Carberry what three lengths on Saturday and um, Ross Carberry beat her last year over the same distance on good ground beat her a short head so clearly she's three four lengths better on softer ground and um the race was run to suit her as well one of the one of the stable mates went and forced the pace uh, I think Shami Heffernan on Goo Goolagong forced the pace to make sure it was a real out-and-out gallop. And there was a point in the straight, a bit like with the Irish Oaks, where you thought Billy Lee was going to quicken and win on Ross Carberry. I think he actually looked between his legs to see where Ryan was and then realised he was right behind him following him. So it was quite, it was quite um, funny to watch. And then <laughs> she just literally just outstayed him on that soft ground and galloped away. In terms of where she goes next, um, I think the obvious one would probably be the Goodwood Cup, but again, she's going to need a soft ground to be seen at her best, but you know, that can happen, it can be soft, so I'm guessing Connections will be just keeping an eye on the weather um, and maybe maybe the um, Irish Ledger still to come because um, that's open to all the horses, isn't it? Irish yeah. Ledger. Uh, the Doncaster Cup, I think she's a real cup horse, but she needs soft ground. Yeah, she's a decent substitute for Kiprios. Like when he comes back, I'm expecting him to blow everything away. Um, maybe Courage Monami will have different ideas about that, but I think I think he'll outclass everything when he comes back. Um, but she's a nice substitute on soft ground to have for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree with you on Kiprios. I think he's on his working his way back. He, he looked the the new the new big deal on the stage stage, didn't he? Yeah, the new new. Uh, the new new. Uh, we'll stay with Ireland as um, Art Power's love affair and Irish sprint races continues. He produced a, a really dominant display in the Group 2 Barberstown Castle Sapphire Stakes for David Allen and Tim Easterby. He's unbeaten in five Irish starts. Uh, his four most recent wins have all come at the Curra, and this was his most visually impressive, Martin. It was, yeah. I actually thought got back to five because uh, he mainly wins over six. Um, I thought he might not struggle, but he'll have to work harder. But he was travelling so comfortably in front under David Allen. And um, he beat them at halfway. He had everything off the bridle. Um, I know Go Atletico was a little bit unlucky. Colin Keane had to wait for a run, but he might have closed the margin by a length or two. But our power is just devastating. He just, I don't know what it is, just loves the colour, doesn't he? Something about that track, something about the Irish air. Uh, that he just loves. So, so much so that surely his target is going to be the Flying Five uh, at the Curran Irish Champions weekend. You would have thought, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, five fell on the soft ground, the Curran seemed to really suit him. Um, yeah, and he does stay six. I, I used to always love riding a 
a sprinter over five and soft ground that you know stage six because you, you know the standards and kicking when you need it and that certainly helps him so yeah i think his natural target will be back to the flying five but we could well see him in the nun cup or or even the haydock sprint comes up soft but i think that's that, that's the same day or the day before the flying five so i'd imagine he'll be heading back to the current but if you get a drop of rain i wouldn't be surprised to see him in an uncorp he, he's a tough horse because you know he only ran a week before in the july cup and then mm. um and, and then and won on saturday so he can handle races back to back he's a tough older horse he's six years of age now so yeah if it, you wouldn't be surprised to see him at your look especially get the rain he holds an entry for uh, Phoenix Stakes Day as well, when we can all go for free to the Curra. Um, I really do hope that works well and the people flock to the Curra again because it, it needs it, quite frankly. It badly needs it, I think. Um, but Phoenix Sprint Stakes is a Group 3. Uh, it's on the 12th of August, and Little Big Bear holds an entry for that race as well. And that's the race I was thinking of with Louis last week. That's the race One Cool Cat won. So he bombed out in the Guineas, then bombs out in the Irish 2000 Guineas, came back in glorious style in the Phoenix Sprint Stakes, and I started thinking, oh, oh he's back! And uh, I don't think Jamie had his best ride on him at, at um, Haydock, quite frankly, or was it York? It was York uh, in the Coolmore Nunthorpe, and then it, it didn't... He bombed out then at Haydock afterwards, and that was the end of that. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll see if he actually comes back. Um, but you would imagine, though, it's going to be the Flying Five will be the main start, but given how hardy Art Power is... Uh, good luck to anybody taking him on in the Phoenix Sprint Stakes. He just comes alive in Ireland for whatever reason. Um, Relief Rally takes the Weatherby's Super Sprint Stakes. Uh, he was, she was unlucky in a photo finish in the Group Two Queen Mary at Royal Ascot, but just outclassed her opposition to give William Haggis his third win in the Super Sprint, but he's first for fifteen years, uh, and she was good. Yeah, she was by far the best, wasn't she? That Royal Ascot form, second in a Queen Mary, like you say, on the bob. Um, it's solid form, and uh, she comes into that race. It's a great pot to win, isn't it? I mean, 122,000 quid or whatever it is. With a, she's obviously a stakes filly in a, in a what is it? Well, it's a sales race, isn't it? It's more or less a handicap, and she's she's giving a small amount of weight away to horses that are far more inferior to her, and she did it well. She she won at halfway. I think somebody said on the TV, oh, she's on the golden highway. Which what a load of nonsense that is, by the way. She she'd have won on any part of track. She's by far the best. And somebody said she was on the Golden Highway at the weekend. I can't remember it was somebody on ITV, and I was like, uh, I'm you heard that saying so much when Little Big Bear won at Haydock. Somebody, I think somebody said that, and it's an absolute load of tosh. I mean, the, she was the only she came on the stands side relief rally, and she was the only one that quickened. The rest were miles behind her. And the ones on the far side were closer, but there was no difference in the tracks. It was just the best horse. The best ground is usually under the best horse. Martin, that. if anything, I'd have said she was she was on the wrong side of the track. Like if, if well, you... yeah, if anything, yeah, exactly, because nothing else on her side finished. But you know, she was just the best horse, and there was no difference <laughs> in the ground. There's no golden highway, but people just keep saying it, and you're like, oh, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Now and now and again, you get a horse, somebody who thinks outside the box and goes for a ground under the tree line or somewhere which is a bit better. I think uh, when not now, Cato won the Eclipse under Ryan. He, you know, he used his yeah. initiative, and that was a golden highway. 
Uh, I think Willie Carson did a Ascot one year on Bari. Now and again, you get a, a bit of brilliance. Uh, I'm thinking from a jockey, but um, it's only every now and again. And people just use this expression, Golden Highway, it's just a load of nonsense. Well, particularly in that race. I mean, that is just utter... I haven't used this word for quite some time. Kids, cover your ears. That's bollocks. That really is. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> it's a podcast, baby. You can say whatever you want, in theory. Um, they're looking at the Predel Abbe. Uh, he was talking about a, a horse from back in the day that she won this or won this race, then went to the Phoenix Stakes, then went to the Predel Abbe. He's talking about uh, taking a relief rally to the Lowther at York and but ultimately, basically working backwards from the Predal Abbey. Um, she'd be getting all the allowances, and she's clearly very fast, Mark. Yes, she is. She's a very quick, strong traveller. Um, and I, I would expect if she went to York, she'd win the Lauda. I'd think she'd win the Lauda quite easily. Um, and um, I, I won the Lauda quite a few years ago on a really smart filly. And she's the same profile as this filly, but very fast and comfortable over five furlongs on any ground and I'd imagine she'd win the Lauda. I wouldn't be surprised if um you know, she might even have an entry in an untop. Which the two year olds have a good record of winning an untop. They get so much weight allowance. I'll tell I'll tell you a funny story. Many years ago I rode I won the Windsor Castle at Royal Ascot and I beat a horse of John Best a short head. And the filly I rode was probably a lifted filly. And uh, John Best decided to run his horse in the um, Nuntorp off eight stone. So he asked me to ride it. And I, uh, I said, I said, you must be joking. That's no chance of winning the group one. So I decided not to ride it. And I thought, I'm not going to sweat and do the weight on a kill myself to do eight stone to ride a horse that's going to finish last in a group one. So you can guess what happened, can't you? Oh, no. Absolutely <laughs> bolted up under Jimmy Quinn. <laughs> with eight stone and I sat from wherever I was watching it going what an idiot I am but that's racing isn't it horses prove you wrong and yeah I learned a lesson that day so next time I got asked to ride a two year old in an untop I did kill myself sweating and finish second <laughs> well at least you got the second and there's like the prize money that goes along with that as well but oh yeah. what a sick got a good record two year olds have a good record in an untop um, but yeah relief rally is a really smart filly um and um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch where she does go next. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Crimson Advocate as well, the horse who beat her at the Royal Meeting, um, because I'm sure that connections of that horse were initially talking about going for the Coolmore Nuthorpe. She's not entered for it. Right. Um, and she actually holds no entries whatsoever. Yeah, so, I, didn't see that. Um, I didn't know whether they shipped her back to America. I imagine they did. I imagine they did, Martin, but I, I, I got the impression from them on the day at the, at the Royal Meeting as we were covering it for TalkSport that they were very, very keen to come back to the UK, but they'd give her a similar preparation that they'd, all the work would be done in America, then come back. But oh, okay. who knows Who knows what's going exactly. on in the meantime? Maybe she's been sold in the meantime. You wouldn't know with the money that's gone around in racing these day, this day and age, but uh, we shall see. She's an exciting one, and so is Relief Rally. Um, Alassie, speaking of TalkSport, we covered, her, we covered this horse making his comeback, um, having been off the track for 420 days, and coming back with a whimper at Newmarket when he was buried by Kamari. Uh, but he's turned that around massively at Newbury over the weekend on good ground, uh, drop back and trip and beats Phantom Flight uh, and beats him fair and square. What did you make of his second run of the season in an impressive win? 
it was it was a good performance. You know, he turned. It's easy afterwards, but you know, he's the top rated horse. He's rated one hundred and thirteen. Uh, he's got Group One form, so you know he, he he deserved to win a listed race. He should. I was surprised at how much he drifted in the betting. Um, well, maybe that was off the back of that poor return at Newmarket. But uh, I think connections have got a. I think they've realised he's a mile and a quarter horse now. Mm. You know, he's the horse I beat on Pile Driver in the Coronation. He he come, he arrived upside me like he was going to go away and win easily, and he came with a big reputation that day. Um, but clearly, a mile and a half is not for him. So on his return at Newmarket, over a mile and a half, it was a slow run race, and he was very keen. He never got into a rhythm, and he finished you know, sixth of six, I think. Um, but he put that behind him at Newbury, and he looked pretty good. So I think if they keep him at a mile and a quarter going forward, I think he's a horse who just worked out, and at the age of six, he's, he's probably progressive. I completely forgot he was favoured to be pile driver in that Coronation Cup. Yeah, he was. He had a big, massive reputation. They thought he'd, he'd, he'd win easily the work he'd been doing. But when you look back on it now, he clearly, pro- he clearly didn't stay the mile and a half. Yeah, he arrived. He arrived full of running, um, looking like he was going to win easily. And I think his his um, attitude was questioned. But um, there was nothing wrong with that at Newbury on Saturday. And sometimes you'd look at a horse like him. Uh, and say, oh, the older they get, the further they want to go. But that just doesn't seem to be the case with him at all. William Haggis was was at pains to say that Sheikah Hissa and her team had been trying to get them to run the horse over a mile and a quarter. He was like, no, no. That's a terrible <laughs> William Haggis impression, by the way. But anyway, we'll go with it. Um, uh, and that uh, he finally succumbed and now realizes, oh, yeah, this is the trip. And and was of the opinion that physically he's still not there either. Yeah, sometimes it just takes you a little while to work out a horse and, you know, some horses work out their distance and what they like and what they don't like. And yeah, obviously it took William Haggis a, a while to figure that out. And uh, he looks he looks pretty good at that 10 furlongs. Uh, two juveniles to ask you about. I, I practiced the pronunciation of this horse before the show and now it's gone because that's how my mind works. Cairo? Let's go with that, shall we? I should have just said it confidently. Uh, the Michael Callahan horse in the Anglesey Stakes who beat Pearls and Rubies. Yeah, that one. Um, what did you make of him? Yeah. I, or her, I even. I keep misgendering horses today, Martin. How dare I? I'm going to go sit in the corner like a bold boy. That's easily done, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that Pearls and Ruby was a bit disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I honestly don't know what to make in that race. Uh, I mean, Kara, she was hanging, looked uncomfortable on the ground. I, it was the type of race that I think I'd want to see. Um, I'd want to just see what happens next time if that makes sense I'm not sure if the ground had an effect on, on, on the result um, Pearls and Rubies didn't quicken very well uh, and the, the winner didn't do did very little wrong and um, was a good winner on debut at Nace um, but again I'm not sure she, the first and second cope with the ground well at all Yeah that might be the excuse I'd go with for Pearls and Rubies that just the ground ended up not playing to her strengths at all um, Royal Ascot was a disappointment. I know she's only beaten the head, but she was there was obviously an awful lot of confidence in her, uh, given the money that came for her, and she really should have built on that to go and win here. Um, is it possible that just the drop back in distance didn't suit her? Because that's one of the things that I think is fascinating about the trends. Um, while Norville and the trends boys can get a little bit caught up in that stuff, uh, they would point out that. 
the sire stamina index is fairly crucial for uh, that race at, at the Royal Meeting for the the Chesham. Um, thank you, Trish, for bailing me out there. Uh, for the Chesham, um, I think, is it, no, no, never sire index is 7.5, and you need a sire index of at least 8.5 or 8.6. So Yeah, that's, that's right, isn't it? it yeah, this stallion has to have won over, over a mile, isn't it? Seven or a mile? Well, they've... Didn't they change it so that the dam comes into that now as well, which is why the Nona Never was able to run. But the overall point oh, okay. being that um, Nona Never uh, is obviously a brilliant stallion, but he's not going to give you the stamina required to win that race, and that that's what might have caught her out, that she was just running on fumes towards the end. So the step back in distance should have helped her. I know Nona Never's tend to go well on soft ground, but is it possible that she just, maybe it's just the case that she's a young horse and Michael Callahan's horse is quite young and O'Callaghan's horse is just better. Yeah, it might just, there was no real excuses for Ellison, really, but she just didn't, yeah, she's dropped back, what, half a furlong, the soft ground, it shouldn't have made much difference. Um, she just didn't, she just wasn't as good as the winner. I just don't know whether the winner coped with the ground either. I'd be interested to see if they supplement the winner for the um, Lowther. Um and I'd like to see it back on better. I think the winner's capable of a bit more on better ground. Mm. I'm just not sure whether she was coping with it as well. That's that's. So it'd be interesting to see how they come out of the race, what they do next time. I just think those those fillies were um, struggling on the very soft ground. Yeah, it's it certainly appeared that way. Um, I'm not overly familiar with the sire of the winner, uh, Koshiro. Let's go with that pronunciation, shall we? But high-class sprinter in Australia, I know that, uh, between two and three, but uh, looks well-bought. Uh, Michael O'Callaghan has a habit of doing this, picking up horses. He's very adept at, at um, look, he's a brilliant trainer, but he's got a great eye for a horse, and he, he bought her for 80 grand. Uh, and given that she's now two from two and a group three winner at the Curra, beating a highly fancied Aidan O'Brien horse in the process, somebody's going to want to be paying an awful lot of money for that horse. Um, who that is, we, we shall see. But the other two-year-old I wanted to ask you about was Henry Longfellow, who's an unusual one in that he's not very heavily entered up. In fact, his only entry is the Futurity Stakes. Now, that's a that's a crucial race for Aidan O'Brien. Aidan tends to run really exciting horses in that. Um, we were talking about the Superlative Stakes last week and just how unbelievably good City of Troy looked in that race. Uh, that's not a race that Aidan O'Brien tends to target with potential superstars, although Horatio Nelson could have been, and who knows what would have happened uh, to that poor fella. He, didn't you win, didn't you win that, that derby? Yeah, unfortunately. He, 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 yeah, he, got, he suffered a fatal injury in the derby one, yeah, 2006. Yeah, that was brutal, but great, great win for you. Um, I remember being on board Dylan Thomas that day, and a very good friend of mine. Um, I shouldn't say this, but uh, here we go. Uh, this just proves what a clown I am. One of my very best friends, Paddy Barry, who now lives in Canada, and this is probably the thing that tilted him over the edge to just leave and get away from me and betting. Um, he was convinced that you were going to win the Derby. Uh, absolutely convinced you were going to win the race uh, and kept going on about the Guineas run and how big the Guineas run was behind George Washington. I said, ah, he won't stay. He won't stay. You want to be on Dylan Thomas all day long, Paddy. And when you won that photo finish, he the bruise on my left arm, the punch I got from him was unbelievable. But that was, that was some performance. It really was. 
Um, but the Futurity is a race that Aiden has won eight of the last ten of, and some very good horses, including Derby winner Anthony Van Dyke. Um, Aesop's Fables didn't exactly do a whole lot this year, but that's the only entry that Henry Longfellow has, uh, which is unusual for Aiden O'Brien and two-year-olds. Normally, when an exciting one comes along, they're well entered up. He's not, but he should be, because he looks very special, Martin. He does, doesn't he? Probably not as um, spectacular as City of Troy. Oh, no. His last two wins, but the ground was pretty slow and soft, and he coped with it, but I just his change of gear was pretty smart. He looked like a good horse. It was all hands and heel stuff. Uh, Ryan didn't have to go for his whip. He just taught him his job, and he was just far better than the rest, and just the potential. He's just such a. It was just a smooth win the way he did it, um, and he's he's bred to be a champion by the ball out of the super race race winner. There, minding she was a thousand guineas winner, Oaks winner. Didn't she win the Kiwi two at the end of her career? Yeah, she did. Um, so you know he's got the potential there. I mean, for us, we'd love to see him race against City of Troy, wouldn't we? But I doubt that'll happen. I'm sure Aiden will keep them apart. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he does go next, but he does look the real deal. Very much so. Um, I, I can't see him taking on City of Troy. Uh, I'm hey, who knows? Maybe I'm very intrigued as to what they do with City of Troy, as, as in where they go. Um, like, is it going to be the Dewhurst at the end of the year? Do you come back to Newmarket, or do they go for the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes? This fellow will have to go and do it again, obviously, and he has to go into group company, and we'll see what River Tiber does in the Phoenix Stakes, when we can all go for free, Martin. Uh, the car aren't even paying me for this, and I've basically been slating them, <laughs> given the queues that people have to go through, even with the lack of people who are there. But, you know, we'll, we'll promote that, because it's a great initiative. Um, and they're not going to throw him into a Phoenix Stakes, because he's only had the one run. Uh, and also, I think he's going to want a little bit further. But he, he could very well... In my mind, he's the ideal candidate for the Futurity, and he would be the, the leading player for Coolmore for that right now, because River Tiber is going to be seven furlong races. I think City of Troy will probably be staying to seven furlong for this year anyway. But he could be a very interesting derby prospect, Henry Longfellow. Yeah, definitely. He's got the pedigree to go further, hasn't he? Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting. I, I think you're right. I think he'll probably go for the Futurism, and I think we'll see the other horse come back to Newmark for the Dewhurst or, or even Doncaster. Super oh. weird. He doesn't even have an entry for the Derby. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they've, they're not sure. It's a few quid to supplement him. <laughs> Maybe this is a Nicky Henderson epitant situation. Maybe somebody <laughs> who was supposed to enter the horse for the Derby just forgot to do so, and now Coolmore are going to have to fork out uh, a fair bit of cash to supplement him. But we, we shall see. It could very well be that. Um, the Racing League returns this week, Martin. I can hear the excitement in your voice already. Oh, you can't wait. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I didn't have any clue this was back. I haven't seen any hype for it on social media. Uh, and by the way, like there are colleagues of ours who are being paid to promote this and, and are working on it. What are you doing on social media? Like I, I, I'm not saying anything bad about someone who is working for it, by the way, because if you can get that bag... Get that bag. Uh, but if you are going to be working at something and, and being part of something, well, then promote it. You know, promote it properly. Rupert Bell was covering the British Open all weekend. I don't know what he's supposed to do. Like He's purely focused on the golf. But for the rest of you, 
why aren't you talking about how excited you are to be part of the racing league and how great it's going to be? Uh, the first I got wind of it, I haven't even seen a press release, by the way. So this is on the racing league as well. Um, the first I got wind of it was when I, I read the Lee Mottisett article in the Racing Post. And the headline is not exactly um, selling the product to us. Uh, only 7,935 race scores turned up in 2022. The Racing League must do better this year. Does the concept appeal to you? Does the product work, Martin? Well, that's not really a one-word answer, is it? I, don't, I think they're, they're having a tough time, the Racing League. You, you have to look at why they're doing what they're doing and, and what they're trying to achieve, which is all good. They want to Racing League have, have, have set out a series of races. They're trying to attract a new audience to racing. So they're, they're trying to do a good thing, but I think they're struggling with it. I don't know whether people are, are, are latching onto the concept of it, a team-based event in racing. It just doesn't seem to be working or capturing the imagination of people, which is a shame because they, they mean well. I mean, we've got race meetings at Yarmouth and Chepstow. You've got £100,000 handicaps. And these are for horses that would never really run for that type of money. There are horses rated in the um, high 70s, 80s, and, and they're racing for good quality money. Uh, Chepstow as a racetrack, I mean, they haven't had this type of money for, for years. I think they used to have a race there, the Welsh Derby, and that ended in the early 90s. Um, and since then, they've never raced for this kind of money. So it's, it's a good thing for racing. You know, you've got good prize money for horses that, probably would might have been sold on otherwise um you've got itv coverage um so any any racing on terrestrial television is good um so it's it, then it's not quite worth it is it because attendances have fallen dramatically and people aren't going racing to watch it um but they mean well the, the organizations mean well you know they're trying to promote racing and trying something new so you know i, I think everyone in racing should kind of help get behind it and, and not really knock it because you know they're putting on good prize money and trying to promote racing in a good light so but in terms of getting it right I, I just don't know clever people than me are trying to struggle to get their heads around this it might just be the fact that um it doesn't work as a team event does the sugar cup work in your mind Yes and no, it works because it's Ascot and people, and that's free entry, isn't it? And it's a family day and people, you know, Ascot's one of the best race courses in the world and it's a one-off event and you've got some exotic names flying to ride in it, like Jamie Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a bit of a, the one thing with the Sherlock Cup, it's, it's, been, it's been on for a long time and people are familiar with it and people go with all the kids and free entry and a family day. It's a great day out you know if you've got family how difficult it is to find something to do on the weekend that doesn't cost an absolute fortune so to go to a track like ascot and get in for nothing and enjoy the festivities is is is, is a winner so that kind of works in terms of the competition you know it's a bit daft in my opinion you have 12 runners in every race supposed to be the test of the best jockeys in the world you've got a big wide track and they put a false rail in to make it easy Ugh. Um, you have the, the team, I'm going to get shot for saying this, but um, we're all about equality and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, in my mind, and most of the jockeys, well, every jockey, female jockeys are the same as male. You know, they, 
there's a lot of female jockeys are better than a lot of male jockeys, and we don't see them as any different. But and and you know we have to see female jockeys on a on a on an equal level, which they are. So why then have an all female team and make them wear pink and say, oh, the female team? I mean, they should those. Um, those girls should be treated as equals and if they're good enough they should be riding in the Irish team or the English team or the rest of the world team they should be selected because they're very good at what they do Holly Doyle is one of the best jockeys around Not forget about what gender she is she's one of the best jockeys she should be selected because she's a good jockey she should be riding for the English team because she's English or the British team I should say so I think that's kind of a contradiction and I don't get why they have a, a female team, but you know that's only my opinion. Well, that worked. That worked as a concept when it initially came in, and um, like I'm talking early noughties. Like it's not that long ago that people were trying to come up with ideas about how to get how to artificially make a female jockey successful. Like people were trying to come up with various different ideas as to what you could do to make it easier for women jockeys. And then along comes Rachel Blackmore, who just knocks that to one side completely. And not long after her, along comes Holly Doyle. And they both tear it up. And there's a fair argument to be made that Rachel is the very best jumps jockey. And there's a very fair argument to be made that Holly Doyle is one of the best jump jockeys, is, is the best flat jockey. Whether or not they are the best in your mind is kind of irrelevant because their CV and their win rate per season tells you that they are. They are at least up there in the top five, both of them. Um, and they're not the only ones now. You know, There are, are more women jockeys coming through. So the idea that you now need a, a female team to, to enhance um, women jockeys or to promote female jockeys anymore, I, I think it's a nonsense. Um, I, I would much I'm prefer... Glad you agree with me. <laughs> well, but I, I do agree with you, and I think you're absolutely right. And, I, and there's not a whole lot of people saying that. By the way, um, it's like, almost an embarrassment. These, these, you know, these get this girls' team, the female team. They're good enough to be riding in the other teams as a genuine top-level jockey. It's nothing to do with their gender. So, I just find it um, double standards. You know, we're all we've got to be careful what we say and what we do, and strive for equality, which is already there, in my opinion, and has been for many years in terms of female jockeys. So, select the female jockeys because you know, to because they're good at what they do, not because they're female. And to make them wear pink colours, it's just, I don't know, I just don't get it. We're the only sport, realistically, the only mainstream sport where women compete with men on level terms and beat them consistently. Rachel Blackmore at Cheltenham beats the male jockeys like they're red-headed stepchildren. It's ridiculous how good she rides that track. Holly Doyle is a top-five jockey in the jockeys' championship, never mind in terms of ability. We certainly don't need the pink colours. We definitely <laughs> don't need that. And we don't need a, a women's team. Like, Holly Doyle should be captain of Team Britain. Um, yeah. Rachel Blackmore can ride on the flat. She's been riding on the flat recently. She could be captain of Team Ireland. Mm. It's They're beating male jockeys on the regular day in, day out. So it's there proven consistently year on year. Let them thrive in their own way. Look at what Hayley Turner does when she gets the opportunities. Nobody rides that straight course at Royal Ascot better than her, with the possible exception of Jamie Spencer. Um, 
So like, you know, they're, they're, they're already gifted at, at, at what they do. So we don't need that kind of a thing. And the reason I was asking, by the way, uh, tickets for tickets for Shergar Cup Day are available now and they are not free. Uh, 70, no, no, 75 quid for the King Edward VII enclosure, 40 quid for the winning post enclosure, and 30 pounds for the Queen Anne enclosure. But you are right about kids. Kids go free. Uh, well, I, I was half right. Sorry, yeah. I, thought, I thought it was free entry. Fake news! Fake news <laughs> on the pod! Um, but the, you know, the Shergar Cup is an easy target for people to bash with the whole team concept. Uh, and the Racing League is trying to build on that and, and, and make it its own. I would argue it's great that Frankie Dettori is involved in the Racing League. It didn't do anything for it last year. You know, it should have. It didn't. And the first year, the figures were 12,102 people attended the six meetings in total the first year. Now, that was 2021. So we were still in COVID, but people were finally able to get out of the house. I'd say if just from my own mindset, couldn't wait to get out and was going to everything. The opening of an envelope, brilliant, I'm there. And there was something special about the fact that there was a restriction on how many people could be there. So it was, yeah. it was you almost wanted to be there. First of all, you wanted to get out of the house and, and you wanted to see people and socialize. But also just the fact that you knew there was going to be a restriction on the amount of people there meant that you were booking the tickets in advance to be there. That was year one. That should go up significantly, particularly with the restrictions gone, but also the interest should increase. It drops to 7,935. You've got, was it, was the figure that, was the figure Lee said, was it 955 or 905 for the final night? It's something along those lines. Irrespective of, you couldn't break 1,000 for the final night of the Racing League? Like, that's, that's a problem. That's a real problem for it. Um, 840, 840 people attended the finale. Jesus. That's that's desperate. Um, and, and look, the people involved in it, like I've interviewed Jeremy Ray, who's the CEO of the Racing League. I think he still is. Um, well-intended, hard-working guy. He's a great vision, great concept. I'm... There were two new concepts that were being promoted by Sky. City racing. I don't know what's happened to that. Uh, hope, hopefully it's been mothballed uh, and will never see the light of day because that has the potential to be an absolute disaster. You think Animal Rising are protesting is now? Horses running in a, in a city centre down a, a high street. Jesus. Um, so that seems to have been consigned and, and mothballed. And the other was the Racing League. And they've got the support of ARC. They have the support of Sky Sports Racing. Uh, they have the support of ITV. 840 people in attendance for your final night? That's not good. And there's no spinning that. There's, there's nothing you can do to say, oh, well, you know, that, that was a huge success. No, it, it didn't engage the public. And they're not doing anything to really push it this year at all. I've seen very little promotion for it. Um, the Irish trainers just dropped off all interest in it last year. And I went through the entries for, for this week. There's no elite horses, obviously, because of the class of racing it is. There's not even really well-known horses in it either. But more important than that, 
you go onto the website and you'll see the list of Irish trainers who've signed up to the Racing League to be part of it. There are two Irish-based trainers who have entries for Thursday night. Never mind runners, entries. Charles Burns and Emmett Mullins. That's it. And a lot of them didn't engage with the last year at all at all. Their names are on the website, but they had no runners. And I asked Jeremy Ray about that. Like, what happened with the Irish trainers? Why weren't they there? And he made a point of saying, oh, we'll, you know, we'll actively engage with them, we'll consult with them, we'll see what it was that didn't work, and we'll make sure that there's more involved next year. Maybe they're going to be fully involved from weeks two and onwards to the finale, but you can only have two Irish-based trainers only have entries? Well, to be honest honest with you, I don't don't know why they enter the competition and they're not going to have runners. I mean, I don't know. I'm not quite sure um, what the what the stipulations are, but yeah, I, it's 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 disappointing. Like you say, to to think I think they've been unlucky the racing league with with you know they, they had to push it back a year with COVID and then we were racing after COVID it was difficult and I think one of the meetings last year was called off after the Queen died rightly so. I was on air that night. I was presenting it and yeah. and had to throw it to the newsroom. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was a strange night because basically we knew she had died. And, yeah. and they were just waiting to make the announcement. Just but to see what was happening. but they didn't. They didn't really reschedule that either. Then, because there no. was, if I remember that correctly, there was one race run, maybe two. I think there was. Let's say there were two. Um, might have been the five fifteen, the five forty five, and then six o'clock was the announcement. Um, yeah. But well, I hope I hope they get. I hope they do manage to improve it this year. I hope it keeps going because I think there is a place for it. Not everyone's cup of tea, but if they can um, keep putting on decent prize money. And I think going to different tracks will help. Chepstow, I guarantee that will be busy. That is a, a well-supported base track uh, in Wales, and, and people love going there. I think that will probably have in those different tracks. And Yarmouth, you get a lot of holidaymakers go to Yarmouth. So hopefully we're going to see an increase in, in actual attendances. Um, and hopefully they can get, I don't know, improve the product a bit. Um, I think you'd always have tears and problems when you start something new, which they definitely had. Um, so, I don't know, hopefully they can improve on it. I know you've got to head off to your day job at Racing TV Towers and get yourself all HD camera ready. So best of luck with that. Uh, Martin, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And please, God, we'll chat to you again very soon on TalkSport 2 and on the Final Furlong Podcast. Take care, Martin. Nice one. Thanks, Martin. Take care. Take care, Martin. God bless. And thank you for listening. Uh, Coming up, we've got a competition with York. We just did a big competition with the Galway races. We've got another one with York Racecourse celebrating the York Ebor Festival. It's going to be an incredible few days of racing, including the highest rated race in the world, the Judmont International, uh, as of course, the Ebor is the feature race, but it's definitely one of the highlights of the entire week. Very much looking forward to that uh, and looking forward to giving you the opportunity to win tickets for it as well. The York Ebor Festival runs from the 23rd to the 26th of August, Wednesday to the Saturday, and you can book your tickets now at yorkracecourse.co.uk. But stay tuned to the Final Four Long Podcast and our various different social media pages for details on how you can win tickets to be there. You and two friends. Details how you can win and full details of the competition coming up. We're back with the weekend preview on Thursday, and Louis Stewart is back to break down the King George and build up to Goodwood and the Galway Festival as well uh, next weekend. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Be safe, be well. Thanks for listening. Look after yourself and each other. God bless. 